Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Beyond the Album Cover with Jarrell Mason, where we get inside the entertainment industry with those in the know and give them their flowers while they're here to be celebrated. With me right now, I have a brother from across the pond in the UK that's been setting the world on fire and folks are spending their fish and chips money or money from the pub for their Sunday roast, getting their his records, collective records, Come on over, and you're going to be hearing a lot more of this man's name in the near future. So, ladies and gentlemen, give a warm welcome to Beyond the Album Cover, Mr. Ricardo Williams. Ricardo, welcome, my brother. Thanks, man. Thank you so much. Thank you for an amazing intro. Man, I, I try to do what I can, man. <laughs> my poor impersonation of Tim Westwood or John Peel. <laughs> now you did your thing man you did your thing <laughs> yeah bbc one capital one holla at me bbc extra right. holla at me. <laughs> all right so let's just go ahead and just jump right into it so spread over in the uk so what led you wanting to start singing and who are some of your influences oh man um i think i fell in love with r&b at a very early age um, I, I happened to have got my hands on a mixtape um, that my mum had, and it had like Jodeci, Brandy, H-Town, um, Boys to Men, all on this little tiny cassette. Um, and I just fell in love with R&B. Um, and I think after after a while, I just wanted I I, I wanted to I wanted to give people the same feeling that I got when I heard that mixtape for the first time. Um, but yeah, some of my biggest inspirations are just those people. So literally every group from 90s R&B, we're talking about, like I said, Joe C.H. Town, uh, Drew Hill, 112, Jagged Edge, um, are some of my biggest, biggest inspirations. And then obviously I grew up in the church. Um, so I've got, I've got a good sort of foundation in, in, in gospel as well. So um, Fred Hammond, uh, Daryl Coley, Kim Burrell, um, all of that, that whole sort of church choir sound. Um, so yeah, man, those are kind of church and what they call secular kind of two merged together to give me my inspiration. Mm -hmm. And uh, we should mention that the founder of the cassette tape just passed away recently. So we want to say an RIP because like you, I was a mixtape connoisseur taping songs right. off of the radio over here in the US. Right. But what I found interesting over in the UK was that back in the 80s and maybe a little bit of the 90s before it went commercial on KISS FM that R&B mm -hmm. black or soul radio if you want to call it used to be underground pirate radio and yeah, your, your version mm -hmm. of the FCC would shut down these pirate stations and that was the only way that you could hear anything that was considered urban because as I mentioned earlier BBC One and Capital they were pretty much like the UK equivalent of what top 40 radio would be here in America. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're right. And you're right. The only way to get some of those to hear that music was was pirate stations. Um, and there was loads of them. So, yeah, if, if it wasn't for those things that, and those mixtapes, I would never have been able to listen to R&B in the way that Americans had access to it. Yeah, so shout out to Tosca and everybody, all a part of the pirate radio movement to help bring soul, urban music to the masses in the UK. And another mm -hmm. interesting dynamic is the whole Northern Soul movement out of the UK was pretty much their whole take on Motown and how it was yeah. R&B heavy, but it was presented with a white face. You know, there's various DJs right. and, you know, the late Steve Walsh who covered a Fatback Bands, mm -hmm. I Found Loving. And then there was this spot in London, I believe, called Crackers, where they would do soul mm -hmm. nights, where if you were of our complexion, you couldn't get in because it was primarily, nope. like I said, it's like Coca-Cola, but in diet form with NutraSweet. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right, man. Yeah, so was there um, like a big divide racially in the UK between, you know, Blacks and whites? Because they were seeing right now with the whole interview with Meghan Markle and Prince Harry that some of that stuff is coming to surface and a lot of folks who don't really know the history of, of right. the issues in the UK are like appalled by everything that's just coming out now. Yeah, so uh, it's quite interesting that you say that. Um, so I kind of, um, I feel like 
especially like across the pond, they 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 definitely feel like we don't we don't we don't have the same sort of race relations and that segregation and separation between sort of white and black people. But yeah, definitely sort of sixties and seventies in in the very same way it was in America. Probably just a little less violence or or the brutality of the violence, but it was still happening. Police were still um, killing and and uh, harassing black people in the country. And there was still tension between blacks and whites. Um, I think what happened in the 80s and 90s, um, some of the visibility of racism just went underground, Um, but it was still very much there. So we we were still very much affected um, in education and in health and with the police and all of those big institutions, it's all been the same, nothing has changed. And I think with the um, with like the new Harry and Meghan interview, all it's really done is is brought to like what we experience every day, what Black people in the UK say every day. Our experience, we know there's racism, and it's always those micro microaggressions, and it's always the things you can't exactly prove. It's not like somebody calls you out your name, and you're like, yeah, you're racist, or somebody gets murdered, and like, yeah, you're racist. It's those things where you don't get that job, but all of a sudden you get fired, or you're not getting the same pay as a white counterpart or your music isn't being played on certain stations but actually the sound is exactly what you're doing or you have a concert and 10 people show up somebody else has a concert and it's a sold out venue or even things about get being able to rent out a venue so approaching a promoter and saying okay look I want to rent this venue and they're like no you're like well why and there's no reason um, around it but someone else who does the same type of music as you do that you do um, has all access to, to those venues. So, yeah, man, I think in terms of UK, US, our history of racism is deep and long and and it feels like it's forever enduring. Nothing's changed for us. I think it's just now more bubbling on the surface. It's a little less covert. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because about a year or so ago, I saw the movie Babylon and how you know mm-hmm. a lot of the blacks from over in the UK ended up migrating over from the Caribbean. So that's why you have Caribbean, a lot yeah. of reggae influence and a lot of UK R&B. But for me, it was eye-opening to see that even though it was made in 1980 and how you're stating that most of the blacks in the UK knew that this is what's been going on, but now it's just been exposed to the world mm-hmm. and how it's not, whereas racism is just exclusively America, it's everywhere. It, it really is. And it's funny you touched on that. So I'm from Caribbean descent. So my parents um, came over in the Windrush generation. So that big boom in the 60s where the actual, the UK government invited, well, actually it was earlier than that. It was in the 50s. Um, so invited the um, a lot of people from the Commonwealth, which was like the Jamaican islands, Trinidad, Barbados, to come over and help rebuild the UK. Um, after the war. So yeah, a lot of, again, my influences come from that uh, sort of reggae Caribbean style as well. So yeah, a lot of what you're saying is it, it really rings home, it really mm-hmm. rings true. Mm-hmm. And can you touch on what Lover's Rock is? Cause I know Steve McQueen did a film about Lover's Rock and I know that it's a homegrown UK thing. It necessarily didn't make its way over here in America. Yeah, so Lover's Rock, it was a bit like a bit of a, a moment in time, a bit of a movement. So this very classic reggae, um, like what they call, well, not to not to confuse it with the current version of two-step, but it's like two-step is very slow. The bass is always riding, it's bass heavy. And it was just our expression of music. It, it, it felt in some, looking back now, in, in, in some respects, it felt very, um, like very earthly, like very back home, like very African, if that makes sense. Um, but with that Caribbean experience to it, um, yeah, it was a beautiful era. My mom grew up in that era and she absolutely loved it. And that's some of my influences growing up, listening to, um, yeah, a lot of Lovers Rock. And then what it came, what it sort of um, transpired into, so like people like Barry's Hammond and Garnet Silk, um, all helped shape kind of my musical journey as well. So it's kind of a bit of a, a melding pot of, of that American R&B influence, the Caribbean influence and the church influence. 
Right. And as we know, in the early to mid 80s, we had a second wave of the British invasion with acts like Culture Club, Human League, Duran yeah. Duran exploding yeah. over here in America. And I felt mm -hmm. the UK was a little bit ahead of the curve as opposed to Americans when music videos first came out because MTV initially had a lot of UK artists videos mm -hmm. in their catalog because whenever they couldn't do Top of the Pops or whatever popular music show, they would do clips as stand-ins if they couldn't do a live performance. Yeah. So can we talk about the yeah. influence of Top of the Pops and how it was almost in those early years a rarity to see a Black act on that show? Yeah, exactly that. Top of the Pops was huge, especially for when I was growing up. That's mainly how we consumed music. If it wasn't on radio, um, we would definitely be tuning in. I think it was like every Saturday night, um, we'd be tuning in to see all these amazing acts perform live on Top of the Pops. And it shaped a lot of everyone's musical um, style and also musicianship. Everybody wanted to be on Top of the Pops. That was the goal. That was the dream. Every musician wanted to play behind somebody that was on Top of the Pops. So it was always about, okay, how, how do we become the next best? And Top of the Pops definitely shaped that for a lot of musicians, including myself. Um, but like you said, it was very rare. It was very rare that we would see um, anyone of color on Top of the Pops, even, even down to sometimes when the vocalist for certain songs was a black person, we, we wouldn't see them fronting um, on, on Top of the Pops. We wouldn't see that. And that that imagery um and i guess that i guess that's what probably led us to and again with americans as well with soul trade started making our, our sort of our own platforms so we could have that same space and we could celebrate our artists the same way that um, the mainstream does right because i know back in the 80s jeffrey daniel shalimar he had a spinoff of soul train called 620 soul train and then there was another show mm -hmm. called i believe solid soul which was the UK's way to showcase black acts because right. like we're stating top of the pops, you'll be rare to see anybody black performing, let alone hosting. Dixie Peach was the first right. black right. presenter or what we would call in the US host of top of the pops because mm -hmm. they pretty much took most yeah. of the DJs that were on BBC One and just rotated them in and out. Exactly that, exactly that. Yeah, now we mentioned earlier, you know, Brandy, Jodeci, H-Town, and how during those days, you would be rare to see a U.S. R&B artist unless they were performing tour-wise over in the U.K., did a TV appearance, right. or if you knew family in the States that could get you their records for the cheap or pay a pretty penny for mm -hmm. those imports. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and even for me growing up as well, I remember spending... Oh, I can't even I can't even calculate how much money I used to spend on on importing, and that was that was further along the line. That was talking about sort of um, mid nineties, where I was spending like half of my salary at the time. I was like quite a young, just general working, but I was spending hundreds just on imports with for for, for music like Brandy and and Faith Evans, uh, and yeah, it was hard to get. And so you, you either had to know someone who could get the imports for you, or if you were lucky enough at the time, because ticket prices were so high, if mm. they were on tour and they happened to come over, it would either be, all right, you know they're coming, so you've got six months to save so you can go to this concert, or you might know the doorman and you can, you know, mm. work something. But yeah, it was, um, I think it was, like you said, it was, it was hard to consume it. Um, but eventually it all stopped, the floodgates opened and, and, and we kind of just got that influx of American R&B. But to be fair, speaking with my peers, um, it's, it, 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 it was a community kind of thing. We all, we all clubbed together to, to share what we knew about sort of the new R&B in America and who's, who's the hottest artist and, and what have the Whitehead brothers done now and, and what's the new Blackstreet song and what you'd find like, like we talked about earlier is we'd all start creating mixtapes from wherever we could get it from, wherever we, some of the pirate radio stations would play the records and we would start sharing mixtapes. And I think that's how, from a community stance, we kind of um, really embedded American R&B um, in our sound and, and in, in our lives.
Right. And I'm sure, I don't know if you guys have the equivalent to this at the barbershops, like in Brixton or wherever, where kind of like yeah, the man. DVD man, <laughs> where you have the mixtape man that come in there and say, hey, That's I got it, these mixtapes for about five pounds, <laughs> two shillings. And I also got your tickets at Wembley or O2 <laughs> Arena for blah, blah, blah. <laughs> That's exactly it, man. That's exactly how run barbershops, takeaways, like your Jamaican takeaways. Um, yeah, you'll always find someone who who knows someone who's got the drop on on the new music. So yeah, man, the good days. <laughs> the hookup is universal. It's not an American thing. The hookup right. is yeah. universal. But the one cool thing that I found about you know R&B over in the UK was that before Sade, 52nd Street, Loose Ends, Soul to Soul became household mm. names here in America, they pretty much got in on the ground floor over on your side of the pond first before they exploded yeah. over here in America. Yeah, and I think to be fair, that that kind of model has always, up until now, has been the way forward is you, you, you sort of, you gain this local grassroots support that gives you almost the credibility to, to kind of be like, okay, now we want to take this a little bit more global and maybe branch out to Europe and Asia and then also tackle America. And for us, UK, um, artists as well. America is the mecca of R&B, so that's where we always want to head to and, and do it well there and get the recognition there. But yeah, like some of the artists that you mentioned, um, Loose Ends, Piece by Piece, um, yeah, had their foundation here first and then um, kind of transpired over to America. Yeah, because I didn't know this until recently that there was a UK group called High Tension that recorded Happy before Surface reworked it for them. Yeah, there's a lot of that. that. That happens. But yeah, man. Yeah. Right. And then also, too, you have the phenomenon, like I mentioned earlier, the Culture Club, Human League, mm -hmm. Duran Duran, Spandau Ballet, then Wham, mm -hmm. George Michael, and his huge mm -hmm. international success once Make It Big crossed over over here in America. And then Rick Ashley had a couple of hits here <laughs> in the U.S., but then PWL, well, Saw, Stock, Aiken, and Waterman, they pretty much took the formula of Motown, Holland, Doja, Holland, all those songwriters and producers, and applied that with Rick, Kylie Minogue, Princess, mm -hmm. Mel and Kim, and pretty much had mm -hmm. their own version of UK R&B, but with a pop appeal. Right, exactly that, exactly that. And, um, and we saw that over here as well, in, in terms of hearing our sound um, outside of our walls and, and just feeling that frustration of why isn't it working for some of our eyes? But yeah, exactly that. Yeah, but did you, um, do you think a lot of the urban UK acts kind of felt frustration once groups like Take Dad and E17 pretty much took off and kind of was doing pretty much same thing, new edition, new kids doing, but we're having the same mm -hmm. backing at, with the majors. And then, of course, Robbie Williams ended up blowing up, becoming a huge solo star. And then later on, we have Bras and Five mm -hmm. and the whole mm -hmm. boy groups that came out of the UK by either Simon Cowell or Louis Walsh. Yeah, absolutely. And on the ground, we definitely felt the frustration. We had like, acts like Damage, um, who for us um, were that sort of ultimate boy band. We further along the line, so 10 years later after that, we had like Fundamental, who were our, B, our, our B2K. And we always saw the frustration. It was either they would burn themselves out trying to, trying to break the UK. Um, again, like you said, doing sounds that were already out and the labels were backing what we call Blue Eye Soul. Um, and, and, and not seeing that traction. And one of two things would happen. They'd either um, do their best to kind of come out of the UK and, and, and do well outside, mainly sort of Asia, Europe, um, or try and go to America and, and get some recognition in America. So, but yeah, the frustration has always been felt. And I don't think much of that has changed. I think urban, um, if we want to call it that, urban music or music of black origin now, it's probably a little bit more palatable and acceptable. It's on trend. So now we're seeing a lot of our artists with our sound winning 
Um, but I still feel like there's a long, a long, long way to go. Yeah, because when I interviewed KG from Eminem and Andreas from Damage, they were telling me about you know their fight to have UK R&B be recognized by the masses, and how KG said that yeah. they had a chance to do a remix for Happy featuring Biggie, but the Columbia Records UK division didn't understand it at the time. Like, oh, who's this guy Biggie? And knowing that <laughs> had they would have right. released that record. It would have definitely right. broke emanate in America. One hundred percent, and that and that's part of the major problem is a lot of the execs at these labels don't really understand the culture. They don't they don't have their finger on the pulse in terms of what's going on in our community and actually how influential the music we make is on the mainstream. Um, and 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 there's too many stories like that where you just know. If the, if, if the label put the right amount of investment or the same level of investment in some of our artists, um, we, would see, we would see them sky high, do you know what I mean? And, and really dominating the charts and, and, and the industry. Right, and then over around the mid nineties in the UK, a lot of US pop acts would go over, cut their teeth, and then come back to America and blow up, like, of course, Backstreet Boys and Sync. So you all got to see them first before they came mm-hmm. back home over here in the U.S. and became huge. So what was that like seeing the early stages of those groups before they became international phenomena? I think we loved it. I think we loved seeing those American boy bands come and, and really, like you said, cut their teeth, um, tour up and down the country. Um, and it also gave us some perspective as well. I think I think that was a great era, I guess, for both for America and both for us, because I guess um, the, the bands coming over were getting to, to feel our culture and take a bit back, do you know what I mean, and, and add pieces to themselves that they probably might not be able to. But we was also viewing the American machine and seeing how that works and taking a bit of that and adding it to what we do so I think it was a brilliant time and I think again like a lot of a lot of my peers will will talk about NSYNC's um I don't know impact on 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 their music and especially by that celebrity album um and 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 people like Backstreet Boys as well it all it all added and 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 you know what's funny is those groups were probably the closest that we had to urban music um that we wouldn't really get to hear it um, so we we kind of embraced it anyway because our, our acts weren't being promoted like that. So when NSYNC came and they had like that R&B pop sound, it was like, great. There's something in the mainstream that we can actually support because everything else is underground for us. Right. And when I interviewed Andreas from Damage, he was telling me that I didn't know this until he told me that Wayne Hector, the songwriter, producer Wayne Hector, was in the group Riverman Bass. Now I'm in a mm-hmm. group called New Jet Swing Forever wh- where we have a lot of members from the UK and how Riverman Bass, they were very influential in bringing New Jack Swing over to the UK and how they originally recorded Tell Me before Groove Theory. I didn't know that, wow, okay. I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah, they originally did Tell Me before Groove Theory and then I think they also were supposed to record I'm in love, which which went to Joe. Wow. Wow. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, man, but I was just listening to him. I was like, man, these guys are good. And it was just a shame that yeah. the world was a lot bigger than and they really didn't understand the yeah. impact of, let's just go ahead and just take these guys over to America. Maybe we may have to alter their look a little bit or maybe mm-hmm. alter a couple of songs on the album to fit the U.S. market, but it could have worked. It could have. It really could have. Yeah, but Wayne Hector's doing all right for himself. You know, big songwriter, big producer, probably cheering on some football team, hopefully not Stoke on Trent. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but he's doing okay. He's, 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 doing, he's doing all right. Now with you. What was that process like going, doing a demo and getting heard and pretty much pounding the pavement, performing any chance you could like at an open mic? Mm-hmm. Do you know what? It's been, it, it, and I guess this is looking back on it sort of from a retrospective point of view, point of view, but it's, um, it's been, it's been fun. It's been great. It's kind of been like um, getting ready in the gym and, and, and sparring and getting, and, and just making sure you're ready for the main event. And it has been like that for years. I think 
Um, the goal is always going to be the same. You kind of always see that dream of Madison Square Gardens and, you know what I mean, crazy world tours. But it all, it all started sort of on the, on, on like the starting line, like doing the smaller thing, like you said, doing the open mics and singing to five people and honing your sound and having rubbish songs and rewriting and, do you know what I mean? Years and years of just kind of tweaking and getting it right. And I think, obviously when I'm in the journey, it feels tough. It feels like, okay, when is it going to be my turn? Like when, when, why didn't this song get the shine that it deserves? But looking back at it, it's kind of been, it's been fun. And I can, I understand now why maybe, let's say it's taken as long as it has, um, because all of the things that I've learned along the way has enabled me to be the artist that I am now. To release the types of songs that I'm releasing now and to get the kind of love that I'm getting now. If I didn't have those experiences, I, don't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be here. So from a retro, retro, looking back retrospectively, it's been, a, it's been fun. But in it, sometimes it's really hard. Right. And can we talk about for a minute grime? Because once Dizzy Rascal mm. broke through with the boy on the corner album, <clears> you have Dave and a lot of other rappers of UK drill. It kind of gave mm-hmm. the UK <clears throat> that gritty raw sound where we're more than just tea and crumpets, uh whatever <laughs> football team, Piccadilly Circus, right. watch Top Boy on Netflix if you don't know. Right. I, I'm a fan of Top Boy. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Grime, like R&B, has been around in many forms for, for many years. Like, so again, underground with Jungle and how that turned into sort of Garage and then how that turned into Grime and now we've got sort of UK Rap and then in um, UK Drill. Um, so yeah, man, Grime has, has kind of taken the same same sort of experience and journey as R&B and underground and you have these artists and DJs and promoters all trying to make the scene pop. And what I love about our, um, Grime, which I think R&B had its time in the sun in sort of the 90s and, and noughties and Grime now and UK Drill is having its time in the sun now. And there's years and years of work and effort that's gone in, like, like you said, pioneers like Dizzy Russell and Wiley and Soul Solid Crew. Um, all kind of, you know what I mean, putting their their sort of um, spike in the sand and, and, and progressing the scene forward. And it's great to see. And like you said, I think what Grime has done for the perception of the UK has really changed it to, they're just tea and crumpets. Do you know what I mean? They, they <laughs> everything is sunny and fine and it's fish and chips. When actually our experiences are very similar. Um, our accents might be different, but our experiences are very similar. And I think that's what I've, I probably enjoyed seeing that, seeing the, I've, I've, I've really enjoyed seeing how everyone outside of the UK takes to grind because we realise actually there's, there's some sort of synergy. There's a lot of um, similarities to our journey, um, mm. which has been be- beautiful. And, and this is why we've got a lot of UK and US collaborations in grind, Heady One and Drake and um, um, Pop Smoke and some of other of our artists and you know what I mean, Tory Lanez and some of our artists, because we, we kind of now are seen, oh, actually, we're, we're the same. <laughs> we're, we're more just, similar we're than, than we are different. Hood. Right. Yeah, there's exactly. hoods everywhere. Pull up to the wrong side right. of Brixton or whatever. <laughs> Somebody's going to pop right. the bonnet. That means trunk right. over in the UK. <laughs> pop the bonnet and they'll get out the ratchet, if you know what I mean. <laughs> That's right. If you're That's not right. from there, don't go there. <laughs> be, be sure to have your have your wings, have your crisp, all of that good stuff. Maybe have a couple of fresh trainers in the trunk. That's shoes. Right. That's what the UK, they right. call shoes. They call them trainers. Yeah, don't go, <laughs> don't go into the spot with the, with some nice trainers and they say, what's your size? Right, right. <laughs> you know what that means when they say, what's your size? That means come up off of them. <laughs> so can we talk about Omar and Brand New Heavies? Oh, Omar is a living legend. Um, yeah, I think what he's done for that soul sound and then I think single-handedly, again, like Brand New Heavy's Omar, um, Incognito, Soul to Soul, really shaped that soul sound. I think that soul sound that, um, that we grew to love came out of the UK first. And again, I think that experience comes from that mixture of that Caribbean heritage as well as our UK experience. But yeah, that shaped a lot of 
our artistry and how that then transpired into R&B and created artists like Donny and um, Lyndon David Hall. Um, so yeah, man, uh, hats off to Omar. Hats off to Omar. Mm -hmm. And another artist that I felt from the UK that should have broken in the US was Lamar. A hundred percent. One hundred percent. Lamar's whole, his whole image, his whole get up, screamed America. Um, yes, yeah, so I don't, I don't know if, I don't know if he did well out there. I know he toured for a while, and he did well, sort of the 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 world tours and the European tours. But yeah, I I agree. I feel like he was definitely destined for America. Such a silky voice, like very reminiscent of um, Luther Vandross. Um, that sort of with that new swag. Um, loved it. Loved yeah, because I remember hearing the 50-50 record on a lot of mix shows because it sampled Cannot the Hustle by Jay-Z, which in turn right. sampled Fool's Paradise by Melissa Morgan. And how like, man, this guy is going to break. But I always feel like the UK's bread and butter is pop because, you know, That's like it. we mentioned yep. earlier, Take That, Boy Zone, Bros, mm -hmm. E-17, Five, mm -hmm. Westlife, mm -hmm. Spice Girls, All Saints. What makes you think that the UK has such a strong knack for making good pop records, good pop groups? Oh, I forgot to mention S Club 7. Oh, yeah. That, that's it. I, I, it was just a formula. Um, it was just a formula. They, 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 it was something that I think we've been, we've had for a while with the Beatles and some of those other bands coming up in the 60s and 70s, we've, we've had um, that good pop sound, the Rolling Stones, um, again, were, weren't, weren't all the way rock, they were like commercial rock. Um, and I think as time moved along, we, we, that was a template, we understood how to put bands together, how to create good commercial songs. Um, so yeah, it's just, it, like you said, it's just a shame we didn't get the same support in R&B because the, the, the infrastructure was there and ready for us to grow. Like some of the bands were there ready for us to grow. But yeah, we've, 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 we've typically been really good at making pop music. Right, because I didn't know this until I saw the Bee Gees documentary, How Can You Man a Broken Heart, that they were already huge in the UK before they came over to the US and then blew up with Saturday Night Fever and everything prior to mm -hmm. that, that their mm -hmm. pop material were, was very Beatlesque. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's again, that's a lot of the blueprint of um, of some of the bands that have come up in the sixties and seventies. Um, is it, it, it is the the template of, of of the Beatles and some of those other bands like that. Um, but yeah, like you said, it, it's just, just that pattern is we 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 conquer home first, and then we take that momentum and take it overseas and. and Usually it goes, uh, for some of us it doesn't, but yeah, usually it goes off and it's great to see. Yeah, because one artist that it went well for was Seal. Crazy and oh, then yeah. exploded yeah. worldwide thanks to that little ditty yeah. kiss from a rose from Batman Forever. Right, right, right. Yeah, and again, that's that, now that's a song that's going to last forever. Um, yeah, Seal, Seal did that, man. Seal did that. Right. And do you think the success of Craig David, both at home and abroad, kind of made UK R&B a little bit more noticeable on the mainstream record label and radio's radar? Because when Rewind came out with, with Off the Dodger, that set the stage for mm -hmm. everything to come with Born to Do It and his transatlantic success right. between home and here in the U.S. I think what the success for Craig David did for R&B was show that there was a bigger appetite than the labels realized that there was for it. And that black artists doing black music can sell very well, can sell over consecutively over a, a good number of years uh, and rival some of the other people in the charts. And I see off the back of that, we started seeing more UK R&B signings like Jamelia, um, Gabrielle. Um, uh, yeah, and the list just kind of goes on. Um, but yeah, it really helped move that forward for us. So again, Craig David, another legend and a pioneer for, 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 for blazing that trail for UK R&B. Yeah, because we mentioned earlier the NSYNC Celebrity album and how there were a couple of cuts on there that were influenced by the whole two-step garage movement. And that was pretty yeah. much right around yeah, when yeah. Born to Do It was, was out exactly. and, and it was hitting because they were listening heavy to you know, Craig, Miss Dynamite, mm -hmm. 
mystique mm-hmm. and everything mm-hmm. that was coming up. Now, Miss Dynamite, I felt she should have blown up more too. 100%, 100%. I think hers was just timing. I just think, um, I just think, yeah, I don't know why that didn't happen, but she had some big songs over here. Um, but I think it was just timing for her. I think maybe it was just at the end of that sort of UK invasion of America. Um, but yeah, yeah, like you said, um, yeah, the, 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 the influence of that two-step carried across, even down to Dark Child. I was watching an interview with, with Rodney Jerkins talking about the, 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 the influence of two-step that he had when he heard it in the club for the first time and he brought it over to America and, and, and introduced it to uh, Brandy and some of her songs. Like The Boy Is Mine, he talks about actually how it was like a two-step song um, or influenced in that and then um, sort of scaled it back to fit an American audience. And so, yeah, it, the influence is crazy. It, it is crazy. Right, because I was listening to Questlove Supreme and Questlove, of course, from the roots, but those of you that have been living under a rock for the past three decades, <laughs> was talking about how they lived in Europe for a little bit before going back over to the States how they were mm-hmm. over in the UK when two-step and everything was huge. And when you listen to the end of You Got Me, that little break, it's clear oh, two-step. It. Yeah, yeah, 100%. 100%. And I think that's why that song went over here as well, because it was a piece of us. So to hear that, it was like, wow, that's 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 our identity. That's us. It was It's good to hear. But yeah, like yeah, the, the influence has been it has been crazy. Through to Janet Jackson. Janet Jackson has been very two-steppy. Um, as well in, in her career. Um, but yeah, Two-Step has definitely infiltrated a lot of the world. Right. And uh, there was a girl group that was out in the early 90s by the name of Eternal. They were put together to mm-hmm. be the UK's equivalent to Embo. They covered Stay mm-hmm. by Glenn Jones. And for those that don't mm-hmm. know, they originally recorded Angel of Mine before Monica reworked it and it became an international mm-hmm. smash hit. So can we talk about Eternal? Eternal are probably one of the first um, black female groups that we saw um, UK um, doing it and having that support from the major labels. Um, like you said, um, Angel of Mine, Big Smash, and then eventually they went on to do Wannabe that featured B.B. Um, Winans. Uh, again, another big sort of party anthem um, but yeah, again, seeing them definitely paved the way for other groups um, to, 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 to come up in their footsteps. Um, like, like Mystique came after, even though their sound was, like, was, was different, was a little bit more commercial, it still allowed them that room to show that like, actually, yeah, this type of music does sell well there. There is an appetite for it and it can live in the mainstream. So again, another, another staple group that has, has, has trailblazed for black music in the UK. Right. And when I interviewed um, KG, he was telling me that Columbia had a chance to sign Spice Girls, but they ended up passing. And that's how Richard Bronson and Virgin ended up getting a hold of them. Now, over here, when Wannabe first came out, we was like, okay, it's a nice record because pop music over (laughs) here in America really wasn't back in style at that point because it was either grunge or rap. But once right. that came out, along with Hanson, that opened pop music back up in America. But Spice Girls, huge. I, when I looked them up, I believe they were one of the top five best-selling girl groups of yeah. all time. So can we just talk about yeah. their impact and how they pretty much broadened pop and R&B as well to a massive audience that probably otherwise would not have been exposed to it? Exactly that. Spice Girls, you, you can't have this conversation about popular music and especially contemporary con, contemporary popular music without talking about Spice Girls and the impact that they had globally um, on music. Like you said, they, it was it was a it was a it was a good mixture of what what you probably would call quintessential British pop, but then with those influences of R and B and a bit of dance and a bit of two step. Um, yeah, and again, you can see you can see after that point. They were the blueprint. Everybody wanted to be Spice Girls. Every and, and, and the amazing thing about Spice Girls, which was very different at the time, is they were all very individual. That was a very new concept when it came to putting groups together. Most times you would have maybe the variation of the same person in the group. I have five group members. One obviously is going to be the star, but the other four are just variations of the, 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 the front man or the, the, the lead lady. 
um, with Spice Girls, what you got was five distinct personalities and that played into the music, it played into their music videos, their imagery. And I think that's what really worked is they were relatable, not just on one level, on five different levels. Different people could see themselves in those characters that they created and, and, and sort of um, personified. So yeah, I think it, it, it was just, it was, it was the first. And, and because of that, it was groundbreaking and, and, and it then did set the, the trend for, for, for many years to come. Right, and we mentioned uh, Take That earlier. A lot of their early material was very poppy, but when they got to the Nobody Else album, that's when I felt they kind of sort of saw what E17 was doing because they were more R&B oriented with Brian Harvey's vocals. And they're like, we want to incorporate right. more R&B in our sound because if you listen like Shore and some of those records off of that album, it was clear R&B, but Back for Good was their only US hit. And then they ended up breaking up shortly after that. Girls were in crisis. They had a helpline. Bobby <laughs> Williams became a yeah, huge man. international solo star. And Gary Barlow went on to do some solo success over in the UK. So I think mm -hmm. that that was a call by Nigel Martin Smith to have them go the more pop route. Because like I mentioned earlier, they were inspired by new kids. But while new kids had right. more of an R&B influence, take that, it was clear pop. Yeah, 100%. Clip up was very and and again sort of um, Gary Barlow's a singer songwriter. You had like a very um, a very um, typically British model in there. You sing a songwriter driving the songs and the band and the sound. Um, but yeah, it was very pop, very pop. Yeah, because they were super huge. And then I read in a magazine article that. Simon Cowell put together five because he missed out on the Spice Girls and they right. they had moderate success over here in America and they were just about to break but they passed up on a little ditty that went to sync, and that was Bye 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 that was originally supposed to be for five right. I didn't know that but that's crazy it's crazy some of these stories that you hear that um, um, that some of these artists pass up on and you just think but you never know. You, you can never you can, you can never know what song's going to go. But that's crazy that they passed up on possibly one of the biggest boy band songs ever. It's so recognizable. I think most people from that era and after know that song. Yeah, because I ended up like watching the big reunion and uh, I believe it was Abs, Sean and Scott. Mm -hmm. um, they all did it. And uh, I think Rich, too. Jay didn't do it, but he did a sit-down interview to explain his piece. And when I saw it, it looked like he was like living off the grid and just wanted a more normal life. But I felt five mm. definitely would have broke over here more because their look was very right. US oriented. And I believe they were mm -hmm. self-contained. They did a lot of the stuff themselves and they were pretty much yeah. E17 on steroids. Right, exactly that, exactly that. Mm, so can we talk about how did you link up with Collective Records and the uh, Come On Over record and what was that process like putting that record together? Yeah, man. So um, again, we've been, I've been working for, for, for doing this R&B journey for, for a minute now. Um, and like we spoke about in the interview, I, I, I started to get some real good traction over the last couple of years. Over the last three years, it also started to change. People in the industry started to notice me. My name started to become um, recognizable um, and my fan base started to grow. So with that, of more opportunities, I was able to um, do the UK tour, the King and I tour with Faith Evans when she came over, which again then helped my profile immensely. Um, I started to get more champions at BBC One Extra, Capital um, Extra, and... Um, yeah, so as that started to grow, obviously my sound is my sound is very um, it's embedded in American R and B, um, and I guess a few of my songs started to travel over to America, and, and um, yeah, Collective Records heard it and they hit me up and it was like, oh, we love your sound, man. Uh, um, let's 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 work let's work on on some songs and see how we can um, take what you're doing in the UK and and amplify. It. <clears throat> Sorry. And amplify that in America and further. So yeah, that's that's kind of how it it, it it kind of got together. That hard work at first, and and then they they um, reached out, and it's been it's been it's been a great relationship ever since. 
All right. So when can we expect like an album or EP or is that still in the works? So, yeah, so we, we, we dropped, we did, we, we dropped an EP about two years ago. Um, and that was kind of the momentum that Come Over came into. So now we're working on some more new music. Last year was just about testing the ground and seeing what people like. But yeah, we're working on we're working on an EP that um, hopefully like COVID changed a lot of things. There were some plans for last year. We were meant to put out an EP. Um, COVID changed some things, so we kind of just sat back on that and put singles out instead. So yeah, we're kind of just hopefully going back into what the plan was, working on this EP. And once that's out of the way, we've got our head straight into album mode. Um, and trying to do some special things for that as well. Okay, cool deal, cool deal. So back to some of the pioneer artists out of the UK. Can we talk about the success home in the UK of Culture Club and Wham and also George Michael? Because he had caught backlash over here in America when Faith exploded because it was the first album by a white artist to go number one on the R&B charts over here. Ended up winning two mm -hmm. American Music Awards for R&B-based categories. And a lot yeah. of, you know, the Black artists over here felt like, okay, you're white, but you're winning these Black-oriented <laughs> categories, but you got to understand mm -hmm. at the time, probably still so to this day, that the music industry is still segregated amongst black and white because George Michael was getting regular airplay on R&B radio and on BET. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, this is it. And like you said, a lot of it is still the same. Nothing much. Not, I think it's changed a little bit, but we still see that. We still see uh, the promotion of, of white artists doing exactly what we do, um, but getting a lot of more recognition. Adele and Sam again, Smith. Well, there, there you go. There you go. We've had, we've had Adele's, we've had Sam Smith's come and go. Um, and 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 it's been it's been a travesty to see, but again things are changing. But with with um, George Michael, I think what I liked about his journey is when he had the power to, um, and not to say sort of this white savior complex, but when he when he had the power to, he, he would pull in some of those um, musicians, black musicians, church musicians, especially his live stuff when uh, in the UK when when you'd go and see him live, you'd you'd get that influence of black musicians. Um, and, and also some of his features, again, with Mary J. Blige, pulling that in and shining light on what she was already phenomenal, but what she was doing and helping her push into the UK mainstream. Um, but yeah, like, like, like you said, it, 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 we've typically seen it. We've seen that, and George Michael had that, and, and bands like Wham as well had that as well, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, and Culture Club, like I said, huge, both home and abroad. Boy George ended up doing a couple of records with Teddy Riley, which I was super stoked about and felt that had George Michael or Rick Ashley gotten a hold of some Teddy Riley productions, that would have been insane. Yeah. It would have been insane. That mix would have been that mix of different sort of um, musical styles and different places musically would have been would have been fantastic. And Teddy Riley is a absolute legend what he's done what he did for new jack swing and michael jackson and that danger album it, it, and obviously guy and black street so if he did that for well if he brought some of that energy to to to, to the likes of um culture club it, it would it would have been i think we would have created a whole new genre it would have been the birth of something mm -hmm. brand new right and uh we mentioned earlier MA and how they were the first ones on the urban side in the UK to really show everybody like, hey, if you're black from the UK, you can do this. So what was it like seeing them, seeing them get that traction? Because when I interviewed KG, he was saying how they didn't come up the traditional school like the pop-backs where they were manufactured, mm -hmm. put together, went through the traditional inroads and it was all organic. And keep in mind, his brother was a big star in the UK as well, had a hit single with the yeah. song Brina. Yeah, man, it was, it was, it was inspiring to see. Um, and as, as cliche as it sounds, is you can't be something you, you, you can't see out in the world. And I think their, their, um, their journey definitely inspired um, a whole generation of artists and just made them know that it was possible. So before that, we, 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 did, we didn't know that. Well, we, we, we knew it was possible to make it somewhere in the music industry, but not to the level of success that they had. So their journey for, 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 for a lot of artists, including myself, was very inspirational. Mm -hmm. Now, 
I'm going to ask you a fun question. What is okay. the big thing with Nando's? I got a bottle of Mal Perry Perry sauce <laughs> in my cabinet that I ordered from AfricaHut.com. This is not a paid sponsorship <laughs> or an endorsement, FYI. So FTC don't come after oh. me. <laughs> I don't even know. I don't. We, it's just like Americans. We love chicken. And, and Nando's is probably the first, I don't know, franchise that came and, and done really well-seasoned um, barbecued grilled chicken. And, I, and it's just, it's really just, it's taken off. <laughs> but we love Nando's. The, 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 the Brits, we love Nando's, man. Yeah, like I said, I got the stomach of a 60-year-old, the mild peri-peri sauce <laughs> on deck, ready to put on the chicken and the so I can uh, get my taste of England. Now, England, Black UK in general, is taking over the acting game right now over here in America because you have Dan yep. Kalua and Judas and the Black Messiah and all his work. Mm-hmm. You have uh, Cynthia Erivo doing her thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Damson Idris, Snowfall, mm-hmm. Idris Elba, mm-hmm. Daniel Oyelowo. Mm-hmm. So what do you think it is about, you know, the Black UK actors and actresses that they're having strong footholds over here in America? Um, I, do you know what? I think it's, it's, I think it's their time. I, we, we, we like, like, like we spoke about in the, in, in the music scene, it, it's, it's, it's the same for entertainment and for acting um, and for film. Um, black actors here uh, traditionally struggled. Like there was there was no roles that there were, well, there were no roles that weren't your stereotypical drug dealer or um, I don't know, bad boy, um, gangster kind of thing. Uh, and we struggled to, 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 to step outside of that and just get your standard role or, or even end up in a play like Hamlet or do you know what I mean? A West End play. Um, and I think for years and years, I think the, the, the black actors have worked really hard and tried to find ways to, to share their craft and their gift. And I just think for some of the actors now, um, again, Idris Elba has opened doors for, 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 for the UK um, actors as well in America. But I think it's that time it's, it, that they put on all that work and they've, they've gone through all of that hardship to kind of now be offered some of these amazing roles. So I just think it's their time, man. And, and it's, it's great to see since it's, it's an amazing scene. Mm, and also Daniel Ezra from All American. He's a uh, British as well. Yeah. And I didn't know that until yeah. he did an interview on the talk over here in the US and how and he, he was able to switch <laughs> on the drop of a dime from a British accent to an LA accent. And I think I can right. accredit that to the US exporting culture out and it seems like other countries don't really export in over here. So do you think that's kind of sort of why a lot of American culture tend to latch on really quick to other countries because we massively export our culture out and other countries don't really necessarily export culture into America? 100%, 100%. And that's, again, why some of our Black actors do it so well. It's for years, that's all we that's all we know, that's all we consume, that's... We, we, we're, we're almost driven by it to some degree. Um, so yeah, I completely agree with what you're saying, man, with America being the export of culture, especially for Black Britons as well. And it, again, for us, it's about seeing, it's about trying to identify ourselves elsewhere. So we've got that sort of African Caribbean hook, but then you've got sort of America where a lot of that um, we, we gravitate towards because it's ourselves somewhere else. So yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, and I'm curious to know, because over here, K-pop is starting to explode in the U.S. I wonder if it's getting any kind of traction or a little foothold in the U.K., because I'm not sure what's the demographics over in the U.K. as far as of Asian uh, population. 100%. And, and, and definitely in terms of listenership, a lot more people have... K-pop has become very trendy. And so now you are seeing um, a lot of the listeners or fans... Gravitating towards K-pop, and when that happens, labels start to change their their strategy, and then you will find different artists um, starting to collab with maybe K-pop artists or changing their sound a bit. But it feels like that's the next trend up, especially with the younger generation. So you sort of early teens, like thirteens to to sixteens, are definitely into K-pop, and you can see that's a trend that's probably going to blow up in the next few years. 
Yeah, because I was looking over here in America. BTS is huge. Their albums selling massive, but they have not put out one album in English. And for those of you that don't mm -hmm. know what K-pop is, think of the 90s, early 2000s American pop movement with Backstreet, NSYNC, Britney, Christina, and times that by maybe 10 or 20 because some of these K-pop <laughs> groups have seven plus members. One group had 15 members and make the Wu-Tang Clan look small. <laughs> rest in peace odb yeah man. yeah it's, it's, but it's just crazy to see how that style and sound is taking off globally at least here in america and how you know they didn't they have not put out an english album but over here in america we've been seeing a lot more explosion with asian american representation with aquafina and nora from queens crazy rich asians mm -hmm fresh off the boat. So they're starting to tap into a demographic that's been long underserved. Yeah, and, and like, like we said before, I think it's just the change in, 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 in cultural, just that cultural shift where, we, where, where some of those people that resemble us, Asian, Black, do you know what I mean? People of color are in those spaces now. So they're opening up those opportunities to, to people that look like them and now we're getting that. We, we can see that the world has an appetite for, for more than what it's been served the last 60, 80, 100, 200 years. So right. I think that's exactly what's starting. Yeah, because I can remember when uh, John Boyega got Star Wars, how it was a lot of right. pushback because the only other Black person in Star Wars visibly was Billy D. Williams, a.k.a. Mr. Colt 45, and how exactly. you, know, you have this kid from Peckham being in one of the world's <laughs> most respected franchises and how a lot of people expected it to look and appear a certain way. But the one thing I appreciate about John Boyega is that when everybody was doing the Black Lives Matter movement once George Floyd was killed and Breonna Taylor was killed, he was outspoken and he's like, I don't care about my Star Wars money. I'm going to speak my truth. Right. If they don't like it, then <laughs> I can give them the peace sign. For those of you that don't right. know, in the UK, <laughs> when we give the peace sign in America, it means peace. But the peace sign in the UK means the reverse where number one. Right, exactly that. And we, I think we all got behind um, John for that, man. We really, we really appreciated, especially when someone has that kind of platform, to use their voice to um, to really advocate on the behalf of of, of, of black people and, and what we don't see we don't see a lot of that and I kind of understand it it's 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 a it's a tough battle to to, to navigate that well actually this is what I believe but this might affect my my bag and how am I going to live and how am I going to pay my bills um, so it's it's a tough line to, to to follow and hats off to him man his integrity on that and his um, will to, to kind of just be like, you know what, this is how I'm feeling and I don't care what, what consequences are, this is right and I'm going to follow right. Um, it was amazing to see, man. Amazing yeah, see. like you said, when you have that platform, you have that ability to send your message out and consequences be darned and while other people mm -hmm. don't have the luxury of saying, hmm, do I want to sacrifice my bank or do I want to <laughs> say it, sacrifice it, go down to the social services office and fill out my UB40 form. <laughs> For those of you that don't right. know, that's how the right. band UB40 got their name. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, based, based off of that form that you go file at the social services office over in mm -hmm. the UK. So before we wrap this interview, uh, talk about any current projects you got coming out, any shout outs, and also plug your social media. Yeah, man. So again, big shout out to Collective Records. We're working on, we're working on, um, we're working on a new song. So that should be out, I think, at the end of April. Um, but there's going to be some more noise about it. I think we're working on a music video. Somehow we're going to work, make that work, UK, US, kind of uh, within the lockdown. Um, so that's the next thing to come. And then throughout this year, um, we're going to be sort of gearing towards um, this EP. So we might drop another single, and then we'll have this big. EP again and hopefully we can get back out and start getting back on the road and, and opening some of the tours that we had planned for last year um, but yeah man if you if you dig what I do if you love my music if you love R&B you definitely need to be listening to me across all socials I am I am Ricardo Williams my website is IamRicardoWilliams.com 
um, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, all I am Ricardo Williams. Find me on Spotify, Apple Music, Tidal, everywhere, Deezer, SoundCloud, at I am Ricardo Williams. Like I said, if you love R&B, then I've got you. Um, so yeah, man. Uh, and, and thank you so much for taking out this time. I know it's mad is it early for you out there. So it's a little, little bit after out. 11 a.m. Saturday morning <laughs> as of the taping of this podcast, but it is all good. You know, I, I've always <laughs> wanted to come to the UK. So I know I got some people in the UK that could take me to Nando's, some fish and chips. That's it, man. Maybe give me a Manchester United jersey. This is it. When you come, don't worry, I got you, man. We can do all of that. And we can go get some nice trainers. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah, make sure I don't end up in the wrong parts of Brixton. <laughs> yeah, so ladies and gentlemen, you can catch this interview audio and video wherever you stream your podcast and on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash beyond the album cover and join the Facebook group, facebook.com slash beyond the album cover where you can stay updated with all things related to the podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, my brother from another mother from across the pond over in the UK doing it his way, Mr. Ricardo Williams. Ricardo, thank you once again for coming on. Thanks, man. Love, man. Yes, sir.